Joining us now in the studio live is Mark Nogushel, who is an anti-Semitism expert and a lecturer and educator at Yad Vashem. He's also a freelance journalist covering topics of anti-Semitism. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure to be here. Well, Mark, first of all, let's start with the big question. Anti-Semitism, I mean, we're hearing about it all the time now in the news. What's the situation now in the world? Look, the statistics and uh, the surveys indicate that we have like an increasing record of um, expressions of anti-Semitism, both in terms of what's going on in social media, but also anti-Semitic hate crimes. If you look at the records, there's like a constant increase in the last years in America and Europe. Now, the question always is, people sometimes tend to believe that there was some period in, in, hist in history where anti-Semitism has just disappeared. The truth is that if we look at it in a broader historical perspective, anti-Semitism has been there and has been rampant for 2,000 years. And of course, um, there were times uh, when it politically was much more influential than it is like uh, today, when like uh, certain countries where it was like politically more influential than today. But I really think if we look at it in a macro perspective, this like, you know, little numbers that we're seeing right now, the current statistics of rising anti-Semitism, they should actually not come as a surprise. Anti-Semitism mm -hmm. is a consistent phenomenon, uh, one that has been around for 2,000 years, run that in all historical periods has been like, you know, very widespread. Also, and this is like one thing we must not forget among the mainstream of society. Anti-Semitism has never been a phenomenon um, of the political margins. People like to talk about the far left and the far right. Really? And the far right likes to say like anti-Semitism is like only a problem of the left-wing anti-Zionists. And the mm -hmm. left-wing anti-Zionists like to say, oh, anti-Semitism is like only a problem of the far right. So everybody likes to blame the other political camp for anti-Semitism. What they all have in common is that none of them actually wants to be an anti-Semite. Interesting. Um, this form of self-denial, so to speak, like one of the core issues of anti-Semitism. And this is some, something to do with like the anti-Semitic worldview is really about, right? Anti-Semites, they never really see themselves as discriminators. If you compare them, for example, to white supremacists, right? They explicitly say, we as white people are superior and we therefore have a right to oppress black people. We have the right to take them as slaves, right? So it is like an outright justification of social inequality of oppression, right? We have the right to take the black people as slaves. Anti-Semites, in a way, say the exact opposite. They say, we are the slaves. We are the ones um, who are controlled by an oppressive Jewish conspiracy, and we actually have to emancipate ourselves. And um, what is, in fact, anti-Semitic discrimination is being portrayed as a struggle for emancipation, as a struggle for an oppression, uh, as a struggle against oppression. And this is something that has been consistent with anti-Semitism for hundreds and even like thousands of years. And um, it's a narrative that we have like among the far right. It's a narrative that we have among the far left. left. It's a narrative that, have we, that we have in the center of society. What differs in these different groups is that they have different ideas of what the social problems are. For example, the far right say the problem of society is immigration. So Jews are to blame for immigration. Uh, the people on the far left say um, the problem is apartheid, the problem is racism. So Zionism in Israel, there are the expression of racism and apartheid per se. Really? I right. thought, you know, when they say that the fringes of the right and the left, they meet in their hatred No, of they the don't Jews. meet You're at all. They, 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 don't, they don't meet at all. But one of the um, fascinating things about anti-Semitism is how it's being incorporated um, and adapted to the different discourse. I would say there are two basic core principles of the anti-Semitic worldview, right? And we're really talking about like a, 
like a uh, like a worldview and not just like some kind of like uh, impulse to like uh, target other people with prejudice that like accidentally targets Jews and like in the same kind of way could target Muslims or any other group. We're really talking about like a like a developed worldview, and I would say two very important core principles is that one, um, Jews are powerful oppressors, right? And at the same time, that Judaism is portrayed as um, counter-principle to the moral foundations of society, as a moral counter-principle. And this idea that Jews is actually um, um, an expression or that Judaism is an expression of what is like morally undesirable, hmm. this is something that is adapted into different kind of discourses. So the left, the right, the center of society, they have different ideas of what is the social problem. They have different ideas of what is morally desirable and accordingly what is morally wrong. But what they um, share when it comes to anti-Semitic discourse is that um, this anti-Semitic discourse in all walks of society blames the Jews for whatever they think is wrong. I really want to get into this. Before we dive into anti-Semitism and conspiracy theories and such, I'd like to find out a little bit more about you and our audience, a little bit, know a little bit more about you. After many years, and I won't detail how many it was, I like, you know, eventually succeeded to complete my PhD on anti-Semitism. Mm -hmm. I conducted the social media analysis. I used social media data in order to understand certain anti-Semitic narratives and certain anti-Semitic sentiments. What I did is I started studied the anti-Semitism among Trump supporters. And um, there is, let's say, like a certain, for Trump supporters, there's certain, a certain kind of ideological conflict because we have like a lot of like anti-Semitism in the camp of Trump supporters. At the same time, Trump has been presenting himself as this like pro-Jewish exactly. and pro-Israel politician. So that really puts... Um, a certain group among his supporters in an ideological conflict, and I've been using a social media analysis in order to find out how this conflict is being negotiated. So to give you just one example, one narrative that is like appearing over and over again, for example, on the comment in, in the comment sections on YouTube or like on various social media channels um, in the comment sections of like certain like um, fringe far-wing sites is that um, basically um, everything that people agree with with Trump, that is Trump, but everything they disagree with, including his like uh, pro-Jewish and pro-Israel posture, this is a result of Jewish manipulation. Um, Particularly, of course, manipulation by Jared Kushner, right? And we really like find who is the Jewish uh, son-in-law who who, who um, happens to be a Jew and who happens to be like his son-in-law and uh, who happens to be like a senior advisor in his government, um, right? So they don't want to blemish Trump; they want to blame it on his contacts or, or being manipulated by. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. They say everything they disagree with, right? For example, when they think that Trump in a particular uh, instant has not been harsh enough on immigration. They say his anti-immigration policy was watered down by Donald Trump, right? They're really theodicy-style constructs, right? Where people say, well, Trump just has to be like pro-Israel ha or has to present himself as being pro-Israel or he has to present himself as being pro-Jewish because somehow... Um, he has to work with the powers that should not be, right? Zionism, um, Judaism is so powerful that Trump is 
or forced to make certain concessions to them, like certain strategic concessions, or that is even overwhelmed by them and unwittingly being manipulated into doing this like um, pro-Israel and like or allegedly pro-Israel um, and pro-Jewish policies uh, that um, he's been presenting himself to um, advocate. Let's talk about the other side now. We heard like uh, like Kanye West, mm. you know, he says his comments and uh, maybe you can reflect a little bit on his comments and, and the repercussions of that. But it kind of hit a nerve as well because it, it sort of people say, yeah, it's true. And you're putting up street signs, you know, honk uh, if you agree with Kanye West. Tell me a little bit about that. How's that? Look, first of all, it's not surprising that somebody, uh, that a hip hop or somebody from the rap scene is subscribing to anti-Semitic narratives. It's not the first time that we're seeing it. There are a lot of examples out there. But there's even like, um, I would say like a certain kind of logic to it. I mean, certainly not to the anti-Semitic narrative, but to the fact that like, you know, certain strains or certain like groups within the hip hop or the rap community would subscribe to these narratives. Because as I said before, anti-Semitism is an ideology, a worldview that views itself as an emancipatory worldview, that views itself as a struggle against an oppression and, to be precise, an hallucinated Jewish oppression, right? But rap music and rap culture is very often, like, leveled in this direction of, like, um, you know, against oppression, against emancipation. So why are like they blaming the Jews? The Jewish people were helping out. They blame the Jews because there's, like, a very established narrative hallucinating the Jews of powerful oppressors of the world. And this narrative is 2,000 years old almost, and it is being, you know, it, it, it's, it's entering all walks of society. If we look, for example, um, in the, in the um, late 19th century, right, um, those folks who actually um, founded the self-declared anti-Semitic movement in Germany, right, they said Germany is oppressed by Jews, Right? We have to um, free ourselves from the Jews. If we look at the protocols of the elders of Zion, right? they make the claim Jews are controlling the humanity. Jews, Jews are actually harming humanity. Jews are a threat to humanity. Right? And um, this narrative is being translated and adapted to all kind of like, um, you know, to all kind of uh, moral views, to all kind of like um, um, views on social reality. And um, if somebody is coming um, from this like emancipatory, so to speak, emancipatory kind of direction that he or she sings like I want to free the world and has like, let's say, like a, conspir- like a, like a tendency to view the world in conspiratorial categories, um, then he's actually just referring to um, a form of knowledge that has been very deep ingrained in Western culture for uh, hundreds and thousands of years. Let's talk about the convergence of anti-Semitism with anti-Zionism and how that works. I mean, uh, it seems that uh, whatever is the bad thing, the pejorative of the world, Jews are oppressors, they're they're Mm. capitalist, or the opposite, Jews are apartheid, they're they're communist. And it seems to... uh, How is this... I mean, we talk a lot about the the fringe right and and the hardcore right, but what about the, the left? Is that anti-Semitic or anti-Zionistic? And is there a difference? Look, uh, one thing many people don't understand is that um, there is something like an anti-Zionist narrative. And this anti-Zionist narrative, meaning that what people in fact communicate under the label anti-Zionism, right, has nothing to do with the criticism of Zionism that we had like in 
um, the middle of Jewish society, let's say, in the 1930s, right? In the 1930s, let's say, if we look at European Jewry, right, there was like um, even a minority of European Jews that said, we see our future in a future state of Israel. Um, there were other Jews who said, like, no, our future is in Europe. And there was a dispute, and this was like a dispute. And yes, um, in this discussion, we had like anti-Zionist voices, right? But first of all, this discussion has become obsolete, right? Today, the state of Israel um, is an existing reality, right? So if like, you know, when, when Hannah Arendt like speculated about like, you know, the, uh, the benefit like of a Jewish state and of Zionism and like, you know, combine it with her critique of nationalism, that was a completely different situation, right? That was like a situation where really the uh, question was like whether a Jewish state shall be found in the future or not, or what kind of like policy like in order to... Uh, amongst other things, fight Jew and anti-Jewish discrimination should be pursued, right? So today is a, there's a complete um, different situation because the state of Israel um, is an existing reality um, and this entire, entire like, conversation has become obsolete. But even more importantly, from an empirical perspective, if we look what people communicate under the label anti-Zionism, it has nothing to do with this traditional criticism of Zionism. It's basically being used to recycle very old anti-Semitic tropes. I give you an example. Yeah. Um, BBC, former BBC sport reporter um, David Icke, who became, so to speak, like a, a professional conspiracy theorist, um, giving big stage performances and having like a quite a prominent social media presence. I mean, some of his like notorious videos were removed from YouTube, but we still find them on the fringe uh, social media platforms. Um, he would speak about what he calls Rothschild Zionism. That's the term he uses. Um, as a control system to manipulate the governments and in order to manipulate global society, right? This is like, his, these are his words, more or less, right? So we see here how the core idea, one of the anti-Semitic core ideas of like a Jewish conspiracy is simply projected um, upon Zionism and is projected upon the state of Israel. The other thing we see is that um, Zionism is simply equated with what different um, groups in society um, consider um, the worst crime, right? Up to the point that Zionism is being equated with Nazism, wow. right? So we really see here how the idea that Judaism is being like turned into a symbol for evil, right? Which is like one core of the anti-Semitic worldview is simply projected upon the state of Israel and upon the, uh, upon the idea of Zionism. And that's why we see, for example, um, in, certain in certain political demonstrations in Europe, banners that say something like, Israel is the enemy of humanity, right? So here we see simply how this like demonization theme is projected on the state of Israel, is projected on the idea of Zionism. And um, I think it goes without saying that it has nothing to do whatsoever with um, criticism of Israeli policies. Here we're really talking about demonization, right? And um, I think um, that the difference is even, I would say it's obvious, right? I mean, I think it's very simple to differentiate between um, criticism and like simply like projecting a demonology 
on an idea that today represents, or is like, so to speak, the most salient um, expression or representation of Jewish cultural reality. Well, let me, at this point, ask you, Ken, I mean, we have a lot of criticism of mm. Israel. A lot of it is coming from American left-wing liberal mm. Jews. Can a Jew be anti-Semitic? Of course. I mean, um, every no minority is immune to the bias that is held against it, right? Mm -hmm. We have misogynic women. We have um, racist people of color. And of course, we have like anti-Semitic Jews, right? And the truth is we have not few of them in history, right? And like um, I'm very careful with labeling people anti-Semitic because like, you know, if I really look at it from a scientific or from a, from a scholarly point of view, um, I can't like, you know, look into the hearts and the minds of the people and see, so to speak, operationalize what they really think or what they feel. What I can look at, um, look at um, in a scholarly pursuit is like um, what people actually say, what they express, what they write, right? And without making any kind of like speculative, speculative assumptions about like the real intentions of the people, whatever that may even mean, what is a real intention, right? What is a, what is a real intention? If I simply look at what people are factually saying and um, the objective semantic meanings of what people are saying, right? Um, it is very um, obvious that there are also um, people of Jewish heritage who promote um, very classical and very traditional anti-Semitic views, and not only today. That has been the case throughout history, and uh, some people will be surprised how many like philosophical thinkers that were even there, right, that um, actually promote um, anti-Semitic views. Now, what's the impact of something like uh, the issue with Kanye West, where he says he's going to go out DEFCOM uh, Jews in the morning, if he could? What? Um, well, and his followers have billions of uh, people. Okay, let's let's him. let's first of all like talk about this like social media post where he said like he wants to go DEFCOM three on the Jews. Okay, um, I don't know if everybody knows what DEFCOM really means. I, think I don't should know explain what it means. It, what right? does it mean, Mark? Um, DEFCOM DEFCOM is. Uh, basically um, a state of military alertness, right? Assessing a certain military threat, right? So DEFCOM 1 would be like a nuclear threat, right? right. And then like it goes down in steps and like um, DEFCOM 3 is pretty high. It's like above average, like on the ladder, if I'm not mistaken, I'm not a military ex expert. You're much more of a military expert than I am, right? But basically, uh, Kenny West, by saying he's going DEFCOM 3 on Jews, he basically um, defines Jews as a threat, that um, has to be, um, or that, so to speak, humanity has to defend itself against, right? And first of all, we see here a very consistent pattern of um, the anti-Semitic worldview. Um, for example, if we look at one of the um, translations of the Protocols of the Elders of Zion from um, the early 20th century, one of the French, French translations um, is titled Le Puril Juif. Right? The Jewish threat. If we, for example, um, look um, at the signs that Nazi functionaries in April 1933 were putting up in front of Jewish stores, right? uh, discouraging, people in order, uh, discouraging people to buy from Jews in the framework of the anti-Jewish boycott of 1st April 1933, these signs say, um, Germans, defend yourself. Don't buy from Jews. If we actually look at mm -hmm. the signs, we see like, you know, how don't buy from Jews is actually written in small print and like Germans defend yourself. It's, speaking, it's like written in bold print, right? So um, if Kenny West says 
he goes DEFCOM 3 on Jews, it basically means he recycles and continues um, a very old idea that Jews are a threat um, against which people have to defend themselves. Okay, so what, what kind of impact it has? Because there was a lot of criticism of him and pressure put on Adidas, mm -hmm. for example, to dump him. Mm -hmm. He was a sponsor. Right. So people are saying, ah, is this more evidence that the Jews have power? They can control some of the uh, sponsorship from someone who's so popular and famous? Look, I mean, that's, that's exactly how um, conspiracy theories like um, to reinterpret, reinterpret, reinterpret reality, right? right? I mean, this is like the fascinating thing about conspiracy fantasies. Um, but it can, seems if he's making it cool to be anti-Semitic. Um, and this is exactly the reason why it is important that big sponsors stop working with him, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. he's indeed um, giving these ideas credibility, and not only and not only he does, right? And especially by um, promoting these narratives, right? I'm not discriminatory. Right, I'm just like fighting for social justice. Um, it he makes it appear like these ideas are like really, really um, acceptable, and he's so to speak like the oppressed one fighting for social justice. Right, and this is why the anti-Semitic stereotype is also um, so difficult to combat because it denies its own discriminatory intention. Right, and this is exactly the point. Um, people. Um, like Kenya West and other people who portray this anti-Semitic worldview as a um, fight for justice, which they don't only portray that it, it's like part of like the anti-Semitic self-presentation and like part like part and parcel of the anti-Semitic worldview. Um, they uh, make it more acceptable, and we can also see that in other, um, let's say, even more mainstream walks of culture, right? For example, not a long time ago, there was this like very disputed art exhibition in Germany, right? There was like very much this, uh, the, the so-called Documenta. Um, it's considered to be like the most uh, important exhibition of contemporary art. And um, all kind of anti-Semitic, like bluntly anti-Semitic artworks were shown there, right? Uh, the defenders... Um, of this exhibition said, well, this is just free speech. This right. is freedom of opinion and accused those who actually criticized this anti-Semitism, right, as like willing to censor it. Like means we have like a, like the criticism of anti-Semitism is framed as a form of censorship, wow. right? And um, this is exactly how this discourse tries, um, or not only tries, but actually succeeds in gaining credibility and which is also the reason um, why it's like sometimes more tricky to explain to people the problems of the anti-Semitic stereotype than let's say like an outright uh, classical racist um, form of bias um, you know that we know from the colonial age um, because there's no negotiation um, that it's actually like beliefs in inequality right. Now, let me ask you something. Here in Israel, we're pretty much immune to anti-Semitism growing up here. Uh, no one, you know, I, I was once the spokesman for the Anti-Defamation League. I did a survey of high schoolers in Israel. You know, what is anti-Semitism to you? And the answers we got were mainly historical. Germany, Nazi, World War II, concentration. Well, There's nothing that's, that's uh, today. This, so, is exactly, this is exactly the dangerous thing. Because, like, one of the reasons how anti-Semitism survived for 2,000 years is that people very often refuse to recognize their um, contemporary expressions as anti-Semitism. And also, this is nothing that is new today, right? Okay, today we find um, self-declared anti-Zionists who, for example, say, um, we only, um, you know, like, uh, 
defend the rights of the Palestinians, while in fact they were actually instrumentalizing the suffering of the Palestinians in order to demonize Jews and demonize Zionism and demonize the state of Israel, right? So they present themselves as fighters for social justice, but they didn't invent this theme. If we, for example, look um, back to the late 19th century when um, the term anti-Semitism was actually invented, um, its proponents or some of its proponents actually said, we have nothing to do with this bigoted old religious Jew hatred. For example, um, Wilhelm Marr, a left-wing political activist um, who actually credits himself with inventing this term, um, and who co-founded um, the so-called League of Anti-Semites. It was indeed like a political association um, in late 19th century Germany that called itself the League of Anti-Semites. He outright condemns um, the old Christian idea that the Jews um, killed Jesus. He condemns the blood libel. He says all these um, are old expressions of bigotry and I'm an enlightened version. I have nothing to do with it, right? At the same time, he accuses Jews, and these are his little literal words in his writings, of social nihilism, right? Mm. So whereas old Christians say the Jews murdered Jesus and thereby hypostatize the Jews as the counterpart to the symbol of the Christian moral order, right? Um, the enlightened, or like in his own perception, enlightened Wilhelm Marr says, well, I don't believe that the Jews killed Jesus. I believe the Jews um, are social nihilists or nihilists, right? So um, he's simply, um, and he's rejecting the idea that he's, that he's a Jew hater, right? And um, if you, for example, take the historian, the German historian Heinrich von Treitschke, who coins a very notorious phrase, the Jews um, are our misfortune. To be precise, he actually didn't invent it. Um, he actually, Martin Luther said something like very similar, like, you know, many, many years earlier uh, in, in the 16th century, right? Um, but um, this became like also, especially in Nazi Germany, the slogan, white people had like bumper stickers, the Jews, our misfortune, right. uh, the Stürmer, this anti-Semitic newspapers, like on the bottom of every page, it says, um, the Jews, our misfortune. So in the very same article, where Heinrich von Treitschke wrote this the sentence, right? He says, and actually, I want to I wanna quote it. Whoever dared, and this is Heinrich von Reitschke, whoever dared to criticize the undeniable weakness of the Jewish character was denounced by almost all of the press as a barbarian and as a discriminator of a religious group. 1879, right? So we can see how modern anti-Semites in the 19th century, right, in the very same kind of way, rejects this charge that they are discriminators. You know, uh, I, was, I was getting to this about Israel and how it sees uh, anti-Semitism as something of the past, and yet they, they're looking at how uh, anti-Zionism, anti-Israel, and that's really bothering them. But um, what I wanted to ask you was that um, how much of this traditional anti-Semitism, which we talk about in conspiracy theories, pretty much on the right wing, is fringe, or if it's really having an impact, and, and how does it balance out with the anti-Zionist Israel, anti-Judaism um, criticisms on, on the left? Okay, as I said before, each group's um, anti-Semitic discourse, in each group blames the Jews what they consider the biggest evil, right? So left-wing liberals who see 
um, the biggest threat to humanity as apartheid um, or like racism, um, if they engage in an anti-Semitic discourse, and I'm not suggesting that all left people or all liberal people are anti-Semites, right? I'm just saying those among the left who do engage in an anti-Semitic discourse, mm -hmm. they tend to blame um, those sentiments that they reject or this like attitudes that they reject um, on Zionism and on Israel. On the far right, on the other hand, where um, from their perspective, the biggest crime or the biggest um, uh, threat to society is immigration. Right. Um, Jews are being blamed for immigration. And this, for example, is the source of the white um, genocide conspiracy theory. But, that but before you get into that, I, I just wanted you to put into scale, into context, mm. how much of it is fringe and how much of it is really having an impact on both sides. I mean, you, you examine social media. Right. Where are you seeing these conspiracy theories? Um, look, I mean, um, I think um, if we talk about um, particular radical narratives, like, for example, the white, um, the, the white genocide conspiracy theory, um, I don't think it's endorsed um, beyond the far right, okay? Um, I think um, the left-wing discourse um, has a much stronger impact on the mainstream of society, right? And I'm not saying left anti-Semitism or anti-Zionist anti-Semitism in, 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 in a left kind of adaption is like ideologically worse or morally worse mm -hmm. than it is on the right, but it's certainly socially more influential. The question that we have here in Israel mm. is that we're watching this from abroad. You know, we have our own country. We're not suffering mm. from anti-Semitism personally here, unless when you travel abroad, you get I wouldn't, engage I wouldn't it, say that. I wouldn't say that. Look, uh, we should not forget that a lot of these traditional anti-Semitic narratives, they have been imported from Europe into the Middle East, and they determine a lot of the ideologies and views among radical um, Islamists and radical Arab factions, right? Indeed, there are authors and historians that make the very credible claim that Israel-related anti-Semitism um, does not stem from the Middle East conflict, but basically the Middle East conflict, at least in parts, right, is a result of Israel-related anti-Semitism, right? So, I think it would be uh, wrong to say that we don't feel the impact of anti-Semitism here in Israel. The charter of the Hamas is quoting the protocols of the elders of Zion, mm -hmm. right? So we have to understand um, a lot of the Islamist ideology that justifies anti-Jewish, anti-Israeli terror that we experience here in Israel on a daily basis is inspired, amongst other things, right, by an anti-Semitic ideology. And I'm not saying it's the only factor in it, and I'm not marginalizing geopolitical factors, and I'm not marginalizing the fact that there's an actual political conflict between different groups that live in the Middle East. I'm not marginalizing the fact um, that um, Palestinians are in a very problematic situation. I'm not marginalizing the fact that there is anti-Arab discrimination, right? But one factor that contributes to the radicalism of Arab Islamist radical groups is also anti-Semitism. The other thing is that um, also Israeli discourse is not immune to certain kind 
of anti-Israel, anti-Zionist narratives that recycle anti-Semitic themes. So we will find uh, the same ideas that we have like among like, um, let's say, certain cultural groups in Germany, on France, on Europe and America. We will find the same form of ideas also among certain Israeli scholars or certain Israeli writers, right? Um, this is And this is something we said before, the fact that you're a Jew or the fact that you're Israeli doesn't make you immune to anti-Semitism. We're talking about cultural systems, systems, sociological systems of knowledge that is part of, of common knowledge and that is part of the repertoire of ideas according to which social reality is being decoded and interpreted. And there's no reason to believe that these ideas stop at the border of the state of Israel, right? We're talking about like a cultural construct, construct And um, there's no reason to assume that just because you're a Jew, you're immune to anti-Semitism just in the same way. If you're a woman, you're not immune to misogyny, or if you're a person of color, you're not immune to racism.